Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You know, we get all eternity to sing that. But we can start today, can't we? We can practice with gifts of thanksgiving and praise and honor to the Lord. And uh, I hope we do that a little bit in our study this morning. If you were with us last week, you know we started into Luke chapter 17. We are going to continue and by God's grace finish chapter 17 this morning. We made it to verse 11. While you're flipping there, I just want to catch up. Jesus began after excoriating the Pharisees for their uh, hearts of just not being gracious or kind or accepting, challenging everybody. In verse 17, 1, Jesus said to his disciples, it's impossible that offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. <laughs> Verse 5 of 17, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> You're asking me to forgive my brother when he sins against me. That's going to take some faith. Seven times? And Peter would ask, how often? And Jesus would answer, 70 times seven. And they are realizing, man, we need faith. So Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will, right? And he's speaking of idioms, of pictures, of the power of faith. But the power of faith isn't something that we conjure up or get in some kind of an emotional frenzy or get a whole bunch of faith mojo. Faith is simply believing. It's the Greek word pistis, and it's translated to believe, to trust, to have faith. So if Jesus says to forgive, he commands you to forgive, you've, you should have all the faith you need to do the job. He said it, you do it, you obey. And so he did the parable of the servants. And when they got finished, he says, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Faith, trusting God, believing in God, putting God's word in action in your life, in obedience, in service, in forgiveness, ingratitude. These are all simple things that God empowers us to do if we will just place that little bit of faith in Him. And this is the key to faith, is the idea of where is your faith, you know? Um, well, our faith, it's a verb, right? So if you want to know where your faith is, you look and you see, what are you doing with it? Then, then I can tell you where my faith is. What do, what do I put my trust in? If I look at a chair and I go to sit on that chair, you know you've already practiced the idea of faith. You, you assume. You believe. You trust that when you put your weight on that chair, it's going to hold you up. And you sit on it. That's faith. That's, it's that simple, right? And yet sometimes we work into all this mystical stuff. And it's just taking God at his word and doing what he says. Here he says to be forgiving. Now we're moving into verse 11 where he's going to talk about thanksgiving. And as we balance out the chapter, it's going to be about kingdom living. And they kind of rhyme. I'm, I made that up. But the idea and the picture here is to help you recognize and see the theme of everything that Jesus is talking about. He says in verse 11, Luke says, I should say. Now what happened as he went to Jerusalem, so remember, he's left Galilee, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he set his face for the cross. He's going there 
to accomplish that which he came to do, to seek and save that which is lost, pay our debt on the cross of Calvary, die with our sins, bury him as far as east is to the rest, never to be resurrected again. But then he comes to life in demonstration that he is God, Jesus. And we can put our faith in him and trust him. We can bet our life on him. We can bet our life on his word. So it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now, Galilee is the region around the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee in the northern region of uh, Israel. And between Galilee and Jerusalem is a range of hills, the Judean hills. But in the northern reaches, it's the land called Samaria. And the Samaritans have been mortal enemies of the Jews since about 700 B.C. And what happened was they were part of the ten kingdoms that split off from the 12 tribes of Israel, started worshiping pagan gods, putting up altars and doing all kinds of things. God judged them, brought the Assyrian army in, conquered and captured and drug them away and then repopulated the land of northern Israel with pagans, with idolatrous people. And, uh, and that, therefore, that area of northern Israel was filled with all kinds of idolatry. And because the people were coming back into the land of Israel, there was a remnant of, of Jewish religion. It was a mixture of Judaism and all kinds of paganism. And the good believing Jew of their day would despise and look down upon them as a, as a traitor. Just the worst of the worst, the bottom of the pile. And now Jesus is going through Samaria, Galilee into Samaria. Verse 12, then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers and stood afar off. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Ten lepers, okay? A leper is somebody who's contracted a disease. It's basically a death sentence. It's like you have stage four cancer. Get your affairs in order. You're not going to live very long. Sadly, though, leprosy often lasted years and years and years. And yet they were isolated. They were shunned. It was contagious. They couldn't be with their family, with their children, with their community. They'd have to just go out and beg along the side of the road. And anytime somebody got even close, they'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean warning the person, don't get close to me, you might catch what I've got. And they would live off the alms of, of people that would just put a little bread or something for them to live off of. Well, as, as lepers shunned from society, they could gather up amongst other lepers. They weren't going to get each other sick. They were all sick together. And so these ten lepers were outside of this certain city, and Jesus comes along. And when they see him, they recognize him for who he is. They say, Master, Jesus, Master, recognizing his power and authority over them and their situation. They know of him. They've heard of him. He's the one that heals the lame, the blind, the crippled. He raises the dead. Jesus, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Wow, another miracle. It shouldn't surprise us. This is what Jesus does. When Jesus is in the house, something's going to happen. It, it happens all the time. It happens around here every week. I, there's Jesus story after Jesus story going on. Uh, Friday night, pure word was just busting out of the room. They're in the hallways. There's no room to sit. People that need healing, people that need Jesus, they're not coming to church. They're not coming to religion. They're not coming to a program. They're coming to Jesus, and we can't fit them in here, okay? Stuff happens when Jesus is in the house. And so Jesus, he hears them. They ask him for mercy, and just a little hint, when you get to heaven, when the day comes and you're going to pass through those pearly gates and in the presence of Jesus, you'll just say, Father, I beg the blood of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And it'll put the biggest smile on God's face. You recognize who you are. You recognize who he is. And not only is he God, pure and holy, gracious, righteous and true, but he is a forgiver, a healer. And if we'll just come to him 
knowing that he wants us whole, he wants us, he'll have mercy on me. He loves to answer that prayer. And so naturally, these ten guys, he says, yeah, go show yourself to the priest. And so that was just the, the typical thing in those days. Now, remember, he's in Samaria. They're kind of walking this half one foot in the religion and one foot in the world, right? And he goes, okay, you're going to have to you're going to have to change direction here. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to get right. You're going to have to go show yourself to the priest. And this was the Old Testament way of uh, getting yourself cleansed. We read a lot about it, say, in the book of Leviticus, around chapter 14. There's several chapters in there. But throughout the Old Testament, he says, go and show yourself to the priest. There's a story in the Old Testament in Kings about uh, a man who was an uh, aide to the king, uh, and his name was Naaman. And uh, he was told, he was, he's tried all these different cures, but he had a servant girl from Israel. And the servant girl goes, why don't you go on down and see Elijah? He's in Israel and he can heal you. And so he does. And he gets an entourage and they go on down and they, they want to meet with Elijah. But Elijah won't even come out of the tent to see him. He just sends a messenger out. Just go tell him to dip in the Jordan water seven times. And Naaman goes, I came all the way to dip in the Jordan water. And a lot of times after a rain, the Jordan water looks like chocolate milk. It's not even clean or dirty. He goes, we've got better streams in Samaria. And he got up and started going back. And one of his servants says, Master, shouldn't he even at least just try it? You came all this way. What do you got to lose? He went and dipped in, and he was healed. Just at the word, the word of, 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 of God to, to come to him and receive him, and you will be cleansed. Well, these guys, they're... they're they're asking for him to be healed, and so he says, go see the priest, go through all the rituals. But look what happens. Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, <laughs> they, had to put, they had to change direction, okay? You come to Jesus, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need healing. Lord, I need help. I need, I, I, I need help, Jesus. He says, okay, turn and start going the right way. And as they went, they were healed. But first they had to turn and move that way, right? And so as they went, they're healed. Wow! I mean, this is a death sentence, right? It's like, this is amazing. This is a miracle, miracle times 10, right? All of these guys are healed. It's just mind-boggling. It's just amazing. And one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice, glorified God. <laughs> you know, that loud voice, it's funny in the Greek, that is uh, megos phone. You want to guess what word we get from that? Megaphone, right? He was shouting it from the housetop. Woohoo! I'm healed, I'm saved, praise Jesus, glory to God. He couldn't stop giving glory to God. I mean, he had been touched. He had been healed. His death sentence was removed. He's a new creation in Christ. There might be a couple of us in this room that walked the other way, that hung out with a bunch of other people crippled by what the world has done to us. And God has spoke to you. And you turned and you obeyed and God healed you. And what do we do? We get out the megaphone. <laughs> and we tell the world, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me show you what he's done in my life. Woo, that's exciting stuff. Okay, it's cool. Okay, he, with a loud voice, he glorified God. Verse 16, and he fell down on his face at, at his feet, giving him thanks. <sighs> thank you, thank you, thank you. How, how long? Can we say thank you to Jesus? I mean, with every breath we've got. Isn't that, the songs we sang, a great deal of them had to do with thanksgiving. Just coming before the Lord and giving thanks. You know, and I think that's, the, the, you know, we've heard of count your blessings, right? And especially when you're in a, in a place, you might be in a funk, you might have gone through a difficult time or whatever. You just, you got your, your head wrapped up around all the, stuff in the news or something somebody did to you or something that happened at work and you're just, you're just in this bind. One of the ways out of that, one of the ways to be loosed from that, cleansed from that, healed from that, is to count your blessings. Well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. 
I can't think of anything to be grateful for. There's a great commentator from the 1800s. His name's Matthew Henry. He, and he's well um, quoted by a lot of people. They like to go to him. I like to go to him when I do a, a study. See what he has to say about it. But on this passage, this is what uh, we read. Uh, Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentator, was robbed of his wallet once. He wrote in his diary that night all the things he was thankful for. First, he'd never been robbed before. Second, that though they took his wallet, they didn't take his life. Third, because even though they took it all, it wasn't very much. (laughs) And finally, because he was the one who was robbed and not the one doing the robbing. Man, when you start giving thanks, it, it ne- the sun will go down and you'll still be saying thank you. But you've got to cultivate this, this attitude of gratitude. You've got to be looking for and thinking, what is there to be thankful for? And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I, I'm like you guys. I got a cell phone. I got a Roku. I see some news. And a lot of it, it's very hard to be thankful for. I didn't say it's impossible. I just said it's hard. It takes some work. And so it's really great boot camp when you see this stuff to start thinking, what and how can I say thank you for the circumstances? For one, I'm alive and I have an opportunity to pray to you and give you thanks to even bring this before your throne, knowing that you are in charge and you you have a plan and, and that I know it's all going to work out. I don't know how, but I'm so grateful it will. And so that idea to come into his presence with thanksgiving and enter into his court with praise. That we shout the hymn of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This is what it's like. People who have been healed or at least some people who have been healed, set free, new creation. Look what it says. It says, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. He was the dregs of society, at least by the audience, the people that were there as Jesus is sharing this witness to them. When they saw the Samaritan giving thanks, they were just beside themselves in our society in like a church maybe not this church there's there's a lot of rough people here but in a lot of your more proper churches the pharisaical and sadducee churches you know these would be the antifa the black lives matter the LGBTQ, those people who just like you, and in so many ways they are just like you, need Jesus. But one of them actually returned and gave thanks. And look at this too. I think this is so cool. He said, go see the priest. And then he, he says, so when Jesus and Anderson said, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the other nine? Were, they, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this for, foreigner? And this is kind of the punchline. This is the point of this whole demonstration. How few stop to recognize God's grace in our life. He, he, he brings the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Everybody is blessed just to be alive. And have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. An opportunity to be a child of God. An opportunity to live in the spirit. An opportunity to go to heaven. Opportunity to bring other people with us. It's a fantastic thing. But how few people take advantage of that. And here only one returned. Where's the other nine? What's what's up with that? And, and, And it's so sad in so many ways. How we can be ungrateful and yet isn't this what jesus is saying yeah stumbling blocks are going to come into this world 
but woe to them by whom they come. But you, when you tell your brother, hey, what you're doing is not pleasing to God. And they say, well, what is pleasing to God? Well, let's let's look at it and, and show them the word, bring them to church, you know, and they repent. You receive them, right? And you forgive them. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And here, Jesus has received him, healed him, and one of them does say, thank you. It's kind of discouraging if you're in ministry and you're out there and you're setting up whatever your, your dealy bob is with your cookie and your coffee and your teaching or you're you know, doing a, I don't know, baby shower or you're doing a men's breakfast or you're doing whatever kind of outreach in the park or whatever and you work and work and work and work and then it seems like you don't get the same res- response as you were hoping for, right? Uh, not always. Sometimes you get way more than you know what to do with, huh, Doug? <laughs> but other days, it's like, yeah, what's the deal here? But you ha- have to understand, Jesus isn't counting numbers. He's counting souls, right? And, and in this, it's, a, it's a, a beautiful picture of how we can be like Jesus. Were there not any who found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner how hard it is sometimes for people who are churchy people religious people to recognize their need for Jesus even us who maybe have been walking with Jesus for a long time decades do we need him any less today than when we first began it never changes. The need is always there. You're going to need them always. And, and there's opportunities to forgive always. There's opportunities to give thanks always. But we kind of have to think about that. And, the, and finally, before I move on out of this, nine went their way. For all we know, they went to the priest. They were cleansed. Hallelujah. They probably went back and got involved with their religion, went to the priest, did everything according to the way you're supposed to observe your faith. But one came to Jesus, right? I just love that. He didn't go back to the, whatever we want to call it, the church or (laughs) the uh, temple or the religion. He just simply came to Jesus. I mean, that's what it is, always will be. And so it's kind of cool, right? So in the first section we had talked about last week, you know, help increase my faith. And Jesus says, you just obey. Don't expect anything for doing what I tell you. Just, you say to yourselves, we're unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Expect nothing. And yet, here in this section, be grateful for everything. Expect nothing. And then be grateful for everything. This is, this is the heart of a new creature in Christ, recognizing God's grace in your life. Well, Verse 19, he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. How did we know his faith made him well? For starters, we see that he's clean. He believed, he obeyed, he turned, he went to the priest, he got clean, but he came back to Jesus. And we can see faith in action through gratitude, through thanksgiving, right? These are ways that faith is demonstrated, forgiveness, thanksgiving, gratitude. Verse 20, now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. So, Jesus was invited to the Pharisees' dinner. They set, had a set up, this man, he, he healed him at dinner, and, and everything starts spinning out, all these parables and all these things in front of the tax collectors and the sinners, and Jesus has just been doing a lot of teaching as he goes on all this. And now the Pharisees want to know, when will the kingdom of God come? And he answered him, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So this is what the Pharisees were all about, the religious people, the kingdom of God. They, were, they, they thought they were the, 
gatekeepers, right? They had the key to the kingdom. They had the words of life. They thought they were responsible for letting people into the kingdom, and they wanted to know when this kingdom is finally going to come. Now, to understand this, you have to make sure that you go to the original audience that it was written to, and what would that mean to them when you say, when will the kingdom come? You and I, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we often think that his kingdom has come in my life. Jesus is my king and I'm living in the kingdom. But in their day, they were expecting basically national Israel to rise up against the occupying forces of Rome and retake its proper place as the chief nation in the world ruling over the world. This is what they were expecting, basically a national revival of their nation, the nation of Israel. It's kind of like Christian nationalism today. People somehow think that we can make America a Christian nation again and, and we'll rise up to our rightful place as a Christian nation and everything will be good. Now, I'm a patriot, okay? But you need to be really careful with that kind of a thinking when you start pushing it out. A president's not going to save us. Congress is not going to save us. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, okay? And we need to be, yeah, that doesn't mean that we're not grateful for our nation, thankful for our nation. That's not means that we don't forgive our president when he apologizes. If he would apologize, we could forgive him. But, but that's not going to bring about heaven on earth, okay? But that's what the Pharisees wanted to know. When will this kingdom of God come? Deliverance from the Roman occupation. And he answered and said to them, the kingdom of heaven does not come with observation. Now, observation is saying something that you can see, that you can see acted out or demonstrated. We just talked about faith. How do, how do you know you got faith? Well, look at your actions, right? But here now the Pharisees, they're, they're wondering when they're going to be back in charge. And when Israel will rule the world, national Israel, and Jesus says, it's not going to come with observation. He says, they'll say, see here or see there. And you're not going to see it that way. That's what they're going to say. Look at us. You know, we, we elected the right guy for whatever office. Everything's going to get better. Kingdom's coming. Kingdom's coming. And Jesus says, that's not how it's going to work. Okay? You're not going to observe it in that fashion that you're thinking of it. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of heaven or of God is within you. And a, a better translation, that's out of my new King James, would be to say, in your midst. Okay? And some people would take that quite literally and others would spiritualize it. And in both cases, you could probably make a case for it. But one of the very things about it is you can imagine, here's Jesus. There's all these people, the lepers just hooping and hollering, Ooh, healed you know and the crowd's going wow that's awesome and the pharisees are going so when's the kingdom coming right and jesus says the kingdom is not going to come when you say see over there the guy jumping up and down or see the guy over there the one doing all his prayers or whatever he says that's not how you're going to see it but the kingdom of heaven is in your midst which is to say right in the middle of all of you and there was the king himself messiah jesus christ and wherever the king goes that's the kingdom Jesus is in the house, it's the kingdom, right? And so he could very well literally be saying, you're not going to see it. In fact, you guys don't see it. You're blind. Here I am. I'm your king, and you're asking me, when's the kingdom coming? A kind of a dumb question, right? If you knew who I was, or, and as many people said, or have, have gone on with, as Jesus, re we receive Jesus, we're changed, we're born again, we're filled with his Holy Spirit, and his kingdom could be his presence through his body. Now, I want to argue or push that too far, but I, I line up more with the idea of just the literal. I'm right here in the middle of you. The problem was saying, well, the kingdom is now his body here on earth. Okay? The church. There's a lot of people over the years that have gone on to this path. Uh, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, a lot of people teach that they are... God, 
God's present on earth, and we are in the process of creating His kingdom here on earth. If that's the case, we're doing a really bad job of it, or he, He's doing a really bad job when He picked us to do it, because it's not getting better. And it really doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. So I would say, He says, it's right here. <laughs> it's right here, but you're missing it. Then He said to the disciples, okay, so they asked this question, when's the kingdom going to come? You know, all... No doubt their chests are puffed up and they're proud, they're arrogant, because they just can't get over themselves. And he says, it's not going to be like that. I'm right here. I'm right in your midst. And then he turns to the disciples, you and me. He said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So what he is saying is, the kingdom is here in your midst, but there's going to be a time where you're going to wish you could see the Son of Man, wish you could see me, but you will not. Now, remember, we started this whole thing. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified, buried, right? Rise again, ascend to heaven. He knows this time is coming very, very soon in their life, and he's preparing them for that. It's interesting, when he first started his ministry, he would go out and he would tell everybody, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, therefore, right? And it's at hand. It's close. It's near to you. In fact, just last uh, couple chapters back, chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, is teaching them, the law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And so Jesus started when he entered into his earthly ministry saying, the kingdom is at hand, repent, you know, I'm the king, come on in. And people are pressing in. But now, as he's getting closer to Jerusalem, and as they're turning up the heat, both the Pharisees and his followers, now he's saying, you know what, there's going to come a time where you're not going to see it. it. I was encouraging, I was inviting you, but now it's going to be a little further off. Okay, and and this will make sense in just a minute. Okay, and we know, you know, can anybody see Jesus today? I mean, like physically, you know, no, but we know his spirit is here. He's alive and well. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. His word is true. We see his effects in the world all around us. We know that he lives and that he is ever interceding on our behalf, that he is God Almighty holding everything together. The world hasn't blown apart yet. Jesus is definitely on the job, but we can't physically see him at this moment. The days will come when you'll desire to see the sons of man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, but do not go after them. There'll be all kinds of false Christs, right? Um, you can do a little Google search right now of, people on earth that claim to be Christ. Uh, when I did that, I got uh, seven people or eight people that claim to be Christ uh, on earth, famous ones that are out there, and you can look up to them. Some of them we've known, they've since died, David Koresh or the Branch Davidians or Sun Young Moon or um, Apollo Kibaloi uh, in the Philippines, all these people that said they're Jesus, they're not, they're dead, okay? But there's like 7,000 on earth today by some standards or measures of people who claim that they're Jesus Christ. They're not, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Look here, look here. Do not go after them or follow them. 24, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. The question was, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus says it's going to be like when the lightning flashes out of heaven and from one part of the heavens to other, everybody sees it. He goes, when it happens, don't look for this guy or that guy, all these false Christ, antichrist, all these silly claims. When I come, you're going to know it. Boom! The whole planet is going to know it. There's going to be no doubt whatsoever, it's Jesus. He's back like lightning. Boom! That flashes from one part of the sky to the other part of the sky. Um, he says, that's under part, so also will be the Son of Man in his day. Now, he's kind of answering a question, but not answering a question. Because they want to know when his kingdom will come. And he's, he's answering when his kingdom of co is going to come. But now he's going to give uh, a little bit of, uh, remember, he's talking to his disciples. 
people who have confessed him as his Lord, been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, new creations in Christ, children of God, heaven bound, and now he's going to give them some better information. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So don't get discouraged when they hang me on the cross. It's supposed to happen. And I just would take a slight moment with us when you see all this insanity going on in the world, just know it has to happen first before Jesus is going to come. Before the lightning flashes and he's back again, we're going to have to see crazy stuff. Now, this is something I've been reading in the news. Maybe some of you caught this, but you know about transgenderism, right? That's not new news to probably anybody in here, but how people want to trans or change their gender, and they do it medically or surgically and those kinds of things. Well, there's a problem that's rising up in the medical society. It's starting to get voice out there, but it's called transableism. Anybody know what ableism is? It's a way of talking about people with physical um, impediments. Handicap was kind of old school way of saying it. And these people want to be trans handicapped people, trans able people. They believe in their heart, not that they're the opposite sex or that they're a furry or something like that. They believe that they are handicapped. And so now they want to have Transableism reassignment surgery. So they are asking to have limbs amputated, spinal cords snipped, eyes gouged out, and they're going to the trans community and saying, please include us in your campaign because you're doing so well of putting forward this trans change who I am thing. Your movement is getting headway. We want to we jump on board. We're part of the team. Even the transgenders are looking at them going, you're whack. <laughs> well, it's insanity. It, it literally is. It's mental. It's all mental illness. We were at a conference this weekend, and a great number of the breakout sessions in the conference that we were at had to do with Christian counseling and all the dis issues that need to be dealt with in counseling. But in biblical counseling, Christian counseling, I can tell you, I can make you an one, Christian counseling 101, ground zero. It's sin. If you do not start there, you will never be healed. You will never get right. I'm not saying that there might not be some kind of traumatic or organic or some kind of an issue that's going on with you. But at the end of the day, it goes back to the garden and the fall. We were all created to be very good. Sin entered the world, and now all of us are experiencing one version or another of a fallen nature, a fallen state, and we're all, to some degree, affected by it. We're all sinners, okay? But you're never going to get to the solution until you start with the real problem. And the real problem has to do with the fall of humanity and mankind and the whole world. It says even the earth and the rocks and everything else is under the curse of the sin. Everything in this world. And before Jesus is going to be able to come back and heal this world, we're going to see it get worse and worse and worse. Okay? So don't be so surprised when you look at the news and you see all of those things. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. It's part of the plan. It's going according to the book. In that, we can give thanks. Oh, Lord, nations are going crazy. World Health health organizations, signing a treaty, taking over all the health care in all the nations, and, you know, the economy's doing this, and currency's going that way, and health and cancers and plagues, and, yeah, just like he said it would. Thank you, Jesus. You showed us this before it happened. Otherwise, we'd be concerned. But we don't have to worry. He has the whole world in his hands. He's got it, and he's told us it. And as his children, we go, okay, Dad, let's see how this is going to happen. I'm going to watch, okay? Verse 26, 
And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Okay, because they wanted to know when will the kingdom come. Now, he's showing them something very interesting. And like I told you, it changes gears just a little bit. When he says the lightning flashing from one part of the sky to the other, the whole world's going to know when he comes back. There's not going to be any doubt about when he comes back. In fact, in the book of Daniel, in chapter 12, verse 11, it says that after the abomination of desolation in the temple in the last days, there will be 1,290 days since Antichrist was revealed till Jesus Christ comes back. So we don't know when that place in the middle of the tribulation is going to happen, but as soon as it happens, we'll know. 1,290 days, Jesus is going to come back. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 14, it says that he's going to come between the evenings. So we can know the day and the hour when he comes back to earth physically. Let me show you something in Matthew 24. I know some of you are kind of squirming in your seats right now. You can't believe I just said that. If you're familiar with Matthew 24, it's the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is answering the questions of his disciples. They asked him basically three questions. Uh, tell us when will these things be when the temple is destroyed? Tell us uh, and when will the sign of your, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so he goes through all these different things, explaining it, and uh, gives them the parable of the fig tree, a symbol of Israel, how he's going to be busy judging Israel. He goes through all these things, and then in verse 36 of Matthew 24, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, okay? Just a minute ago, he said in verse 34, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And then it says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my father in my father only. But that word but is the Greek peri day. It's not the nut, but as you would think, he says now concerning not but now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only, but peri day, but and he's changing gears. You're not going to know when that is, but I can I'm tell you something different. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. That's what we just read in chapter 17. Okay? And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be unexpected, something you don't know. Now, the Scripture's full of references to when... Antichrist will be revealed in the tribulation, and at the end of 1,290 days, he's coming back between evenings. That one we know, but this one is different. It's not knowable, what he's talking about, and I'll bring it forward in just a minute. It says in verse 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, another left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour of the Lord is your, your coming. But know this, okay? You can't know when, but know this. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay? And so what he's going into right here, I'll just I'll put it out there. It's the rapture. It's God's coming to bring us home out of this world before the seven years of tribulation, the last three and a half years, 1,290 days, calls a, a tribulation like never has been since mankind started, okay? The great tribulation. And so he, he uses these examples. They ate, they drank, they, they married, or they ate, they drank, and married, and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When he's revealed. 
you can go to the book of Revelation, and you're going to look at the first five chapters in the book of Revelation, and you will see the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, Jesus in all his splendor and glory. Chapters 2 and 3, chronicling the church age and what God was doing. And then finally, he says in chapter 4, come up here. It's the same word, harpazo, that we read in Thessalonians. It's the rapture. He says, come on up here. And he's transported into the throne room of heaven where the elders are worshiping and, and so many wonderful things go on. He's given a scroll and he begins opening the seals. And we end into Ch Revelation 6 through 19, talking about the judgment of the earth. And then chapter 19 picks up with Jesus Christ consummating the whole tribulation marrying his bride and all these kinds of things. But in this, it's, it's a total surprise, something that you can't know. It says, like the days of Noah, like the days of Lot. They ate. Is, is eating bad? How about drinking? Some kinds, sometimes. But, but basically, no, not anything wrong. Is get, getting married bad? Not at all. Um, given in marriage, okay. How about uh, they bought and they sold? Is it wrong to buy something or sell something? They're not doing anything wrong. It's just business as usual until, in both of these passages, until the door is shut, until the flood comes, until Lot is taken out, and then comes destruction, a picture of the tribulation. But they will be taken out before the destruction comes. He goes on to emphasize that even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed We'll all see him. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down. I'm sorry. Yep, that's right. Uh, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. You need to keep moving forward. The way out is up. Okay? It says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. You do realize that when Lot and his wife and his two daughters fled Sodom and Gomorrah, they left other daughters behind and their son-in-laws. And the mother had her heart torn between her kids that weren't leaving and those who were leaving. And she paused longingly in her heart, and it cost her her life, okay? And she was torched just like everybody else in the destruction because she just couldn't quite leave, let go of what God was rescuing her out of. It's a cautionary tale for many of us that are trying to sit on the fence, right? Who owns the fence? The devil owns the fence. Get off the fence. You got to get a pick your side, right? Um, he goes on to say, I tell you the truth. I tell you, in the night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken, the other will left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. This is not the middle of the tribulation. This is not something that's happening when everything's just falling apart. This is normal doing business as usual. Interesting, two men in one bed. What time do people go to sleep? Nighttime. How about grinding, two women grinding? What time do we do that? Daytime, right? And what, what we're seeing here is night and day, simultaneously, all around the planet, it's going to happen. The thief's going to come, right? Now, in this, um, some of the things that are kind of interesting, there's a couple words that are being used for taken and left behind, okay? When we read in this passage, I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed, one will be taken, that's paralambano or to receive, or to bring to yourself, to hold on to tightly. One of them will be received and held on to tightly, and the other left. And that's a word for sent away, okay? It says two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, brought to, or close to, the other left. We just did a passage a couple uh, studies back where Jesus talked about divorce, and the Pharisees. And, and really, in this picture, he's talking about a picture of taking his bride to be his own, paralambano, or those who are left, those who are rejected, those who are divorced, those who are cast out. Two women will be grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. And two men will be in the field, and one will be taken. One will be caught, captured, held tight, while the other is left. This is what 
the rapture will look like. That, that we get the word rapture, it's a Latin word, raptus. It's a translation from the Greek, harpazo. You don't need to know all this stuff, but the word is in the Bible. It's just not in English. But it's a picture of God taking and reaching out and pulling us to be with him. And this is something that we look forward to. It's our blessed hope. It's is, is, is appearing and bringing us home to be with him. And it says, and they answered and said to him, where, Lord? So he didn't really answer their when question. No man can know. It's going to come and expect, okay, well, if we don't know where, if we don't know when, how about where? Is it going to be in Jerusalem? Is it going to be in uh, Hebron? I want to be there wherever it is. If I don't know when to be there, at least I can be there and I'll be there when it happens. So he answered them with a kind of an ignac, uh, 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 an odd saying. He says, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together also. I know I have to be finished. I should have been finished 10 minutes ago. And that's something like, what is, that's kind of an enigma. I don't know, what does that mean? Where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And take you to Revelation chapter 19. And worship team, you can come on up. I got to be, I got to be pulling this together. All of Revelation chapter 19 explains this. As God brings his bride to be with him, there's a wedding banquet where they celebrate their marriage and they're in heaven, they're enjoying this beautiful supper. And then in verse 11 of chapter 19, now, okay, this is his second coming. That's what they were asking for. He says, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself and he was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood. His name was called the word of God. This is the return of Jesus Christ to earth. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen and white clean followed him on white horses. They were just described a couple verses earlier. That's you and me. That's the saints. We're coming back with them. We've already been in heaven. We were snatched out prior to the tribulation. We didn't have to go through that. Now that he's wrapping everything up, we're going to come back with him and rule and reign on earth. It says, um, but I'm going to go down to verse 17. Okay, that's, that's the body of Christ. Where the body is, that's where we're going to be. We're the body of Christ. We're going to be gathered together, robed in right. His bride, he's going to hold tight to us. He's not going to let us go. We will be taken to be with him. And that's a beautiful thing. But there are those who reject him. Verse 7, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come together, gather together for the supper of the great God. And I'm not going to read it all because it's gnarly, but he says that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men. It's what these eagles, these birds of prey do. They gather on these dead bodies and they, they, they eat. He says uh, in verse 21, and all the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and the birds were filled with their flesh. So not only is there a wedding banquet of the bride, but there's also a feast of the lost. Those who would die and the birds will gather together. And the picture here that Jesus gives at the end of this whole story is, where is this going to be? Well, those who call upon the na name of Jesus are going to be gathered together. His family, his body will be together with him. But those who are not, they'll be that corrupted uh, carcass of a world, putrefying, stinky, and that's where the vultures go. And you're going to be able to tell the difference super easy. And, and the choice is, before us right now, which, which place do you want to be? We don't know when, but we know where. And we know the where is actually answered in the family of God, in the body of Christ. That's where salvation is. That's where heaven is. That's where hope is. That's where joy is. That's where truth is. That's where thanksgiving is. That's where forgiveness is. That's where Jesus is, and that's where we want to be. And that's what he's really trying to help us understand about the kingdom of heaven. And that was specifically for his disciples. So you don't have to wonder and you don't have to worry when you turn on the news and you see this carcass of a world rotting and decaying. Just know the day of judgment's coming. But also know that means that we're about to be pulled out of here. And it's our great joy. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up with just one last thought. I could go to 5, 10, 15 others, but there's so much that the Scriptures teach about this. But I want to end up with the words of Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Is that not what we just studied? Preach the word in light of all that we've just seen and what we know and what we can expect to happen because he's told us what should we be doing. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Be about our father's business. Occupy until he comes, regardless of what it looks like. For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, spreading the good news, fulfill your ministry, all the way up to the end, last moment. And here's Paul's valedictory, his final words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. If you read Paul's letters, all of his early letters, he was talking about the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be raptured. Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapels, and, and all that went, he was living for the rapture. He was convinced he was going to be raptured. He didn't think he would die. He believed it, and so did Paul, and so do all saints. I, uh, man, I'm, I'm looking for the rapture. I'm looking for the rapture. I'm really expecting it any moment now, the way the world is going, according to everything that I see. There's nothing that has to happen for it to happen. It just can happen in a twinkling of an eye, a trumpet sound, a blast. We're out of here, okay? But he died. Paul died. But look what he, he leaves behind. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've been faithful. That little mustard seed of faith. What God asked me to do, forgive him, Paul. I forgave him. Give thanks, Paul. I gave thanks. Look for that blessed hope and assurance. I've been watching. I've been waiting. I'm anticipating. Maybe today. Maybe today. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Oh, you know, we, we get to heaven, we look into his eyes, we see his love, and you think, is that, but that's not, he's going to put a crown on your head. Just, really? <laughs> and not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. It's for all of us. Are you looking forward to seeing Jesus? Are you looking forward to his kingdom come? Are you looking forward to his will be done? Well, if you are and if you believe, then it'll change how you act. You'll pe be people of forgiveness, people of faith, people of gratitude, people of joy, people of hope. We should be the salt and light in the world. And when everything is falling down around us, we should be able to stop and count our blessings and go, you know what? I'm a child of God. I'm going home. Amen? Father God, I want to thank you so much for the word and how you encourage us every day as we just take that special time to be with you in prayer, in fellowship, in service, in silence. But as we meet with you, Lord, you always meet with us and reveal to us the wonders, the manifold wonders of your grace. Just even now, I wonder what you have in store for me in the next hour before the sun goes down. In the week to come, if you should tarry, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would fill me with hope, with joy, with thanksgiving, anticipation that every day we get closer to you. Let this be the day we pray. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And yet, 
Help us just be busy about your business. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.